What is up? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything Nevada athletics, episode 138. My name is Matt Hannafin. I'm here with my co-host, Isaiah Burroughs. Isaiah, what's going on, man? How's it going, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. How was your weekend? It was good. Relaxing for the most part, but just staying busy. How was yours? I had a good weekend, uh, watched a lot of football, and then when I wasn't watching the wild card weekend, oh, c- anyways, congratulations to Browns left guard Joel Batonio and Rams guard uh, Austin Corbett, two Nevada alums, who won, whose teams won their playoff game, and they are advancing to the NFL divisional round. So that's kind of that's kind of a cool thing. They were the only two players whose teams made the playoffs, or they were the only two pack alums whose teams made the playoffs. And Batonio unfortunately wasn't able to play in the first one because he contracted COVID last week. But I'm I think he's going to play in this one, right? Yes, I think he's going to clear protocols and be able to play. And obviously, he's a huge addition to that Cleveland Browns offensive line. Yeah, so. he's arguably their best offensive lineman, and of course, he was a second team All Pro this year. He was a Pro Bowler too. And the fact that he's the longest tenured Brown, he underwent <laughs> because he was drafted in 2014. He's been with the Browns his entire career. He underwent several struggles with the Browns. Not he himself, but the team. Um, with the 0-16s, the like 1-15s, and 15s, like just all like the bad recent history Brown stuff. And then this year, of course, they got Stefanski, who is my guy. Viking legend Kevin Stefanski. And they go 11-5 and in the regular season. Their first playoff appearance since 2002. And, of course... Uh, Sunday, they shocked the world with a what was this, what was forty eight thirty seven. I think you're right. Yeah, Either something I like that. Double yeah, digit victory. Forty eight thirty four. Something like I think it was forty eight thirty seven. But they beat the number two or the number two seeded Steelers or number no, they were the number three seed because it was six versus three. Number three seeded Steelers in Heinz Field, their first playoff win since nineteen ninety four, and so. I mean, Petonio was, again, the longest tenured Brown, so he went under, underwent all that. And for him to be able to now play in his first career playoff game is kind of a cool thing. Definitely. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it was a 48-37 victory. 48-37, okay. No. Congratulations to Petonio and the Cleveland Browns, and congratulations to Austin Corbett, the Los Angeles Rams, for upsetting the Seahawks in Seattle. But funny enough, Austin Corbett was the 33rd overall pick by Cleveland, who was subsequently traded to the Rams last year at the deadline. So seeing both of them enter the playoffs and advance with their teams is awesome. Yeah, Just... Bisonio was 35, I think. So they're around like the same uh, selection. I guess Bisonio was in 2014. Funny enough, uh, in 2013, I, I believe it was 2013, Bisonio's senior year, since my dad's in the military at the Nevada Air Force game, my dad was able to do the coin toss. And he, or him and like a few other members in the military, I think there was like four or five total. Um, and my dad stood next to Petonio and like he came back to the seat and he was like, dude, or because Petonio was one of the team captains. And he came back and he's like, dude, like Petonio is like the biggest human I've ever seen in my entire life. Because him being like, what, six, five, six, 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 seven, like 300 pounds, you're just this massively large human being. And, it, and my dad's like, and my dad, five foot eight. And so he's a, like, 
I'm a, I'm a few inches taller than him. <laughs> he's like, man, Betonio is the biggest dude I've ever seen in my entire life. No, he's a large man. Yeah. I think that that's so cool. Your dad got to do the coin yeah. toss for the game. That's awesome. I don't think he was able to flip the coin, but he was but still just, like on the field when it happened. Hey, just being there, I mean, that's an experience in itself. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, and so that was like a funny thing that I took. And I think, yeah, Betonio was our he. Was, I think he played right tackle with us. I think you're right. Right tackle or left tackle? Right I'm pretty sure left. it was right though. But I know he moved the transition into guard so beautifully into the NFL, and right. he's just kept getting better with each year and. It's so cool, like you said, to see him have that success after just going through those, you know, a winless season and going through just so many non-playoff years and being a non-factor in the NFL for so long. It's cool to see the Browns in general do well. So we're rooting for him, both yeah. of them in that matter. I have a couple of friends who are Steelers fans, and I haven't I haven't talked to him about that yet. Yeah, it's a big yikes. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of staying away from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know they didn't get much, you know, respect being the first— you know, being an 11-0 and team coming out, they a Going lot of— 1-4 in the final yeah. five regular season games. And they just never could they, string it back together. They played, like, five games. They had, like, a span where they played, like, five games in, like, 25 days or something like that. It was some crazy. It's—yeah, they just never could string it back together, especially defensively. They started the year out as one of the best defensive teams in football, and that second half of the year, they kind of fell off the tracks a little bit. It's a little disappointing. So. Yeah, they yeah they went under, underwent some injuries there. So, yeah, but Which, either way, yeah, ultimately, like hurt their season. Like Devin Bush, huge, yeah. huge. It's one of the best linebackers in the game. Yeah, there was another one too. I can't remember. Oh, Bud Dupree. Oh, that's another huge edge rusher for them. Yeah, that's right. Him and T.J. Watt off the edge. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, congratulations to them. Um. We wish them the best of luck in these upcoming game, upcoming uh, week games. I mean, of course, I'm going to be rooting for the Rams because I'm a Vikings fan and I don't like the Packers. But that's beside the point. Hopefully, Corbett does well. Hopefully, Petonio does well. We'll definitely be rooting for both of them as they hopefully can can continue their playoff journey this season. And so let's let's transition that. When I wasn't watching football this weekend, I Nevada basketball was on. And unfortunately, they suffered two just gut-wrenching losses to uh, San Diego State. They lost the first game 65-60. to They lost the second game 69-67 off of Trey Pulliam. Pull-up. Well, pull, floater. floater. Yeah, floater. Length of the floor and the length of the floor. Yeah, went just... length of the floor in five seconds uh, and won the game. And, I mean, there's just two gut-wrenching losses, but before we get into the actual games of it, I'm going to say something real quick. It's If you're a Nevada fan, like it's uh, I understandably frustrating, for sure, and I don't think there was a Nevada fan that wasn't frustrated over the weekend just because of the result of the two games, not necessarily their performance. The Nevada, I tweeted this, the Nevada Wolfpack can compete if they play their game, they can compete with any team in the Mountain West, I believe. Oh, like, I, I don't think... Because they showed that this weekend, San Diego State was one of the best defensive teams in the Mountain West, arguably the best. They allowed 61 points a game. They were holding teams under 45% shooting. They were just, like, a stout defensive team, and they were incredible from the three-point line. They were shooting... I think it was like 45% or I can't remember what the number was in conference play heading into that. They were shooting close to 40% on the season. 
And so they were pretty much a juggernaut. Not a juggernaut, but they, I mean, I know they suffered the tough loss to Colorado State, not just a few games beforehand. And they lost to BYU, which were their only two losses of the season. But they were definitely one of the best teams in the Mountain West with Boise State. And Nevada competed with them essentially for the entire 80 minutes that they played combined over the weekend. Oh, I'm I'm with you there. I mean, like the, I don't think there's any question that like if Nevada and it's it's cool to say that because again we came into the year without with question how this team would actually perform with two scholarship juniors, with a bunch of freshmen, with a bunch of sophomores, without really any of the experience that we had in the past years under Alford last year with Jazz Johnson, Lindsey Lindsey Drew, Nizray, Nizray, and Jalen Harris obviously, and like John Carlos Reyes too, but. Or, and the years under all or under Musselman, where we had the Martin Twins, Carolina, all that jazz for those four years. Well, I mean, they weren't all there four years, but Nevada was an experienced team all four years. And like there was this is the youngest team Nevada's had in a long time, and it's one of the youngest teams in the conference. And they competed with one Matt of Mitchell, teams. Jordan Shackle, Nathan Mensa. Like they competed yeah. with these guys for 40 minutes. No, it was so impressive. In both games. And I think you mentioned it. It's like, I know you see two losses and you can't, you know, take many moral victories away from that. But I think there's so many positives from both of those games and as the series as a whole that you can take away. And like you said, for being such a young team, the pack competed with the Aztecs almost just step for step. And the entire way. It's, you know, if it wasn't for a few offensive lapses and a few defensive lapses on Nevada's part in the second game. I mean, we could be talking about a potential split and just taking one of those games at Viejas against a team that is just so loaded and has so much depth and is so well coached and really plays up to their level of competition. I was very impressed just across the board with how Nevada played. And I know we'll get into it just like the many details of the game. And overall, I just think even with these two losses, there's so many positives you can take away that I hope Nevada does carry this on throughout the season because this could be a true litmus test, as we mentioned on the previous podcast, and they performed up to those standards. It just, a few things didn't fall their way, a few shots didn't go, and that sometimes can break or sway a game. And mm-hmm. there's nothing really to take away other than those two things, and it's just so many positives on the other end that Nevada can really hold on to. Yeah, I definitely agree there. Or like if you're a fan, you have to it's it's hard to think about the future when after you suffer two like just gut wrenching losses, you're more focused on like what just happened now. But when you like take a step back and look at it from an objective perspective, you have to be impressed with the direction this program is going in the future. Oh, definitely. I don't um, think there's any question about that. Being one of the youngest teams in the conference, like you mentioned, this team is going to grow and just having the limited experience with Sheffield Sheffield and Cambridge, we're already seeing the impact they have on the floor, but you're starting to see the growth of the rest of the team and the rest of Alford's kind of direction and what he wants this program to be, and it can really turn out to be something special. He keeps adding talent to this team, and you can tell the players play hard for him on the floor, and I don't think that will change anytime soon. So just having some of those characteristics along with the youth of this program, big things ahead because we competed step for step with I think we could arguably say the best team in the conference to this point. Yeah, I would probably I'd probably put Boise State like a head above them, but it's neck and neck. It's one A and one B. San Diego State's a, a very good program. 
and Brian Dutcher has been an incredible coach uh, throughout his few years there. And of course, we saw it last year with the 30, what was it, 31 and 2, 30 and 2? 30 and 2 Aztec team. Yeah. Yeah. Led by first rounder Malachi Flynn. And so, like, you have to be impressed with the direction that this team is going in. And hopefully, we're, Alford, I think, said it in the post game. You have to be, hopefully they can grow, like or continue to grow and continue to build off this performance despite the two losses and respond and keep growing as a unit because I don't think this team has reached its potential yet. No, And I coming into not. the year, we yeah. really didn't know what this team's potential could be. And now, we, now 13 games through, we have more of a grasp of what this team can be. And I think, I don't want to say sky's the limit, but this ceiling is relatively high i don't know if we're going to get to 20 wins uh but there's certainly the possibility if we can kind of hit a stride oh definitely and if i mean it, i don't think it's realistic to get to get 20 wins considering the seven game non-conference schedule or let's let's say 15 wins. yeah i was gonna say if we could say somewhere between 15 and 17 wins for this season that'd be a great manageable start for just what we were given this year with so many different circumstances, not just with the roster, but the year as a whole with COVID and everything like that. And like you said, I really do believe the future of this program is headed in the right direction. And it's just going to take a few swings, maybe a few tinkers, tinkers, like I don't even know if that's a word, but just a few adjustments. And, you know, we could have a few more wins on our record. I mean, it's come down to some nail biters already this year. And I think the team will grow and adjust to some of those differences and different circumstances as the year goes along. And maybe a potential loss can turn into wins in that aspect as well. And that's just something to look forward to as the year progresses. This kind of like leads to my next point that I want to talk to you about. Nevada, speaking on, speaking upon the growth of this team, a, a kind of not, I don't want to say brushed under the rug, but kind of like, Okay, I'll say brush under the rug, even though it's not really brush under the rug. Aspect that this team can grow in that we didn't talk about last week was closing games. And Nevada's one and three in games decided by five or fewer points. Their three losses in the Mountain West have come by nine combined points. And, I mean, with their with, at the same time, their three wins have come by all double digits, 17 points, 14 points, and 10 points. And so they're doing damage there. But when it comes to closing out a game, we saw over the weekend two, two games that Nevada kind of squandered away because, of course, in the first game, we had the 60-58 to 58 lead. They go on a 7-0 run in the final 216. Nevada doesn't score at all. And then, of course, this last game on Saturday, Nevada was down, I believe, by seven points. Yes. With, like, a few minutes remaining, they battle back. Sherfield hits the game tying three with six seconds left. They drive the length. Of, Trey Pulliam drives the length of the floor with the timeout left. Uh, yeah, and he hits the game winning floater. And so I, it's, I guess that game isn't much as closing as just like, all right, let's let's get a few stops. But I mean, that's part of closing too. Yeah, I mean, let's get a stop. Let's yeah. try and force this thing to OT or get regain possession. I mean, it comes down to that. So I, I kind of want to ask you, like, where where are you at with, like, where Nevada is closing the game? Yeah, it's been disappointing in some aspects, especially, you know, the second game, you know, just touching upon that buzzer beater. Yeah, maybe a little more defensive pressure. 
maybe a little more hands up in the paint would have been nice, a little more active hands defensively, but I could still see them being restraint. They didn't want to get whistles blown or anything like that, so I understand trying to play off in some aspect. But the first game, that offensive low really hurt us, obviously. And I think you can show the experience from two different standards in that first game, just showing the leadership of what SDSU has brought to this team thus far and some of the youth and inexperience and kind of maybe nerves to that point as you see the lead slipping from Nevada's perspective and not being able to string together many baskets you need those so I think that first game really hurt in many ways in terms of how we close games and it's kind of pointed into the rest of our season it's not that good it hasn't been a strong suit by any means it's been one of our weaker points but just being a young team I'm going to chalk a little bit up to that and I think that's one of the things we can really adjust and not fully erase in any sort of capacity but just something we can truly get better at is hopefully shot making late in games and being able to hopefully string together some defensive stops and go on a few runs of our own to swing the tides if that were ever to be the case I mean how do you chalk it up in that aspect yeah I agree I agree with you there (laughs) it's funny because the one win uh just thinking back on it which felt like a while ago which really wasn't was the Sherfield game winner against Nebraska. It feels like and forever it fe- ago. And it, yeah. and it feels like, I mean, this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's it feels like Sherfield's the only one trying to create shots. At least in the at least in the final few minutes. I mean, Cambridge had a couple clutch threes um, in the second game from the corner in like the exact same spot to like kind of cut the lead and get Nevada essentially back into the game and back into the race with just a few minutes left. Sheriffield's unquestionably been the best player on this team this year. I don't is there any like qualms to that? No, I think you can make the argument he's been the best player. Like I think he's been one of the best in the conference. Yeah. I think he's I don't think he can make much of an argument for anyone else's case. Nothing against Cambridge. He's been tremendous no. in a lot of shot making aspects, but I think you've seen at the last just how much of a focal point Sheriffield's been for our offense and for the team as a whole these last two games. Ball's always in his hands in the final remaining moments because, sadly, I think as we'll get into, and as we talked about previously, he's one of our only shot creators who's able to put the ball on the floor and create for others. That's what I I was about ready to go that route. and Because, I I mean, I wish there was some statistics on it that we could look at, but his usage rate probably in the final two minutes has to be, like, through the roof. It has to skyrocket. (laughs) It just just has to be. And it's also... I I, w- I I wish it was that way because again you always want the the ball in your best player's hands in the final moments. But at the same time, I almost wish that we could. It wouldn't have to be just him either taking it to the rack and trying to shoot it over three people, or I mean he him and his uh, <laughs> I guess shots from outside in the final moments have at least been productive. And of course in the second game and in the game against Nebraska. But I just wish there was a tad a little bit more shot creation. Like, like hit Zane for an open three if they're overhelping. Like, if they're stunting, like, hit a guy in the corner or something. I don't I mean, I guess it just depends on the situation and depends on how they're guarding it. Yeah, definitely. And just having that faith in your teammates and having that faith that someone can make a big shot. And he uh, has had faith in his teammates throughout this year. He's averaging over five assists a game. Definitely. And we've seen, you know streaks and touches of how 
Nevada can potentially have a third score, as we mentioned with Meeks and Washington and guys like that. But in those waning moments, it's really a lot on Grant in so many ways. And I'd really like to see others try and step up in that role and not be afraid to take that open shot if they're open and just, you know, hoist it up. What's the worst that can happen? If you're open, it's a good shot. Have confidence in yourself. And I feel like a too much. I feel like too much weight just being thrown upon his shoulders. I agree. In those final moments, I totally agree. And I don't think that's his fault at all. And I don't. I wonder if he's he he kind of some. I don't want to like criticize him at all because he's been tremendous. But like, is he trying to force it? I mean, he may. Maybe he just feels. I feel like that points he has been, but then again. Some of them have gone in and kept yeah. Nevada in game, so I'm not gonna and he's been discredit uns- him for that. He's been unselfish throughout the year, as you mentioned. For sure, for he's sure. been great. It's just in those waning moments, maybe, you know, maybe he does feel the need to always hoist up a tougher shot because if that's the scenario, maybe try and draw a foul. It could be anything. He could just multiple scenarios can go through your head, but as long as it's him taking that shot, he maybe he feels like Nevada has a, a swinging chance. Mm-hmm. But at the same time. You know, I really want to see what this team is capable of. And I think putting certain guys in those certain situations, like you said, if Zane's open for three, gosh, make that extra pass. And if he's open and it's a good shot, hoist it up. I don't care how many seconds or how many minutes or what the score is left on the clock or anything like that. I just really want to see who can really step up. And I think this series was a true litmus test for what we need to improve upon. And that's one of the things we really do. For sure, for sure. So let's go over these games. We let's let's go over these games. It became pretty apparent throughout the series that they were really attacking Nevada's bigs, and specifically in the low post, and specifically with trying to get mismatches—not mis- necessarily mismatches, but take advantage of um, out of the lack of discipline. Yeah, that Nevada's I, bigs had, and it was that was specifically with uh, Mitchell and Mensa, and. Nevada was in foul trouble with their front court pretty much the entirety of the second game. Uh, Washington had three fouls. He only played seven minutes. Meeks had four fouls. And Himes, who came off the bench, who didn't foul as much as he usually does, had three fouls. Um, we saw we saw Robbie. Um, we talked about the last podcast how we were kind of like, where's Robbie at? And I think Robbie played over 25 minutes mm-hmm. um, in the second game. Looked fresh. Yeah, and he looked really good, and he, he was pretty much doing what Robbie does, and he was looking quality on the defensive end against Mitchell and against uh, Menza when he was matched up against him and just against. But it became pretty apparent, and that's kind of weird because Nevada or San Diego State was one of the, as we talked, as we said earlier and last podcast, they're one of the best three-point shooting teams in the conference, probably the best three-point shooting team in the conference. And Nevada really, throughout the two games, ran them off the three-point line. And made them, made, essentially made them shoot in the paint and down low. I mean, San Diego State scored 28 points in the paint in the second game. I believe it was 26 in the first game. So they got a bulk of their points in the paint. And, of course, down the stretch in that second game, it really hurt Nevada with the like free throw shooting. And because they were in the double bonus. Or no, not double, they were in the bonus in for the like bonus the last for, like 15 minutes yeah, of the game. Yeah, I was going to say, as soon as that kind of happened... You could tell what STSU's game plan was going forward from that point on, and they really did take advantage, as you said, of our lack of discipline, especially fouling-wise in the paint. And, yeah, that's one of the issues we touched upon last podcast is the fouls. 
and it really kind of plagued us, especially in that second game. And it was really interesting to see SDSU really pound us inside like that. It was a different game plan mm-hmm. in some ways. Just different cons- than I expected. Yeah, I mean, considering I mean, it actually, it, in hindsight, it makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Take advantage of one of our weakest components defensively, and that's it. But at the same time, considering how hot they were from three coming in, you know, we did a good job of, like you said, kind of running them off the three-point line, and a lot of that was scheme on SDSU's part as well. But, yeah, they just really took it to us in the paint and got what they wanted in some ways, but at the same time, taking advantage of getting to the stripe and making those points count can be all the difference in some games like that. Right, and like also part of that was Nevada just was doing a good job. I mean, I know there was a few lapses, but they were doing a good job just like just getting in your jersey pretty much and on the perimeter like it was Sheffield who's probably our best defender at the point of attack uh Cambridge did a good job Milling did a good job Coleman of course doing what Coleman does and be one of our best wing defenders who can switch two through four he did a good job and so they did a good really good job just pressuring the ball on the perimeter and of course, when they did stunt and recover, they were quick and they ran him off the three-point line. And I mean, Jordan Shackle, who shot, he was shooting 45% from three heading into the series, just shot 30%. He was three of 10 on the series. Terrell Gomez, who was right behind him and who's one of the better three-point shooters in the conference as well, he was like heading into the series, he was around 45% too. He shot 25% from the three-point line. So Nevada did a very good job contesting their main three-point shooters and again, just running them off the three-point line and kind of getting in your jersey and making it difficult for you and contesting well. And I mean, there was a few times in that second game where, especially in the beginning of the game where they were getting some open threes, but Nevada adjusted. And when they w- and the thing that Nevada did when, when they did go to the post with Mensa and Mitchell, they weren't really doubling and they, or they weren't really helping much off that because of that three point shooting. They kind of were just like, all right, go one-on-one with them and see what happens. And, there was at times where Nevada did play good defense in the paint, but there again, as we talked about, there were other times where Nevada was a little bit too foul prone. And I mean, I guess it's more preferable that you would want that one-on-one matchup in the post with Mensa, despite Mensa being as good as he is, instead of Shackle shooting, hitting nearly half of his threes from the perimeter. I mean, he went two for four in the first game, but he just went one for six. I mean, of course the one came late and, it was a go-ahead three with like 30 seconds after something like that, but that's not the point. The point is, is that they did a good job defending the three and kind of isolated themselves in the post. And that was probably a game plan of Alford. Mm-hmm. I like that, and that's one of the other positive takeaways that we can get from this is just being able to guard the perimeter as effectively as we did against one of the best three-point shooting teams in the conference. And Sometimes in terms of a scheme like that, it could be just a numbers thing. You know, three is more than two, obviously. And right. Like you said, maybe you want to take those matchups down in the post rather than having someone like Shackle shooting a wide open three or a lightly contested three. So in that aspect, that can work to Nevada's favor. And while it did, still, you know, SDSU was effective in other aspects of the game, and that's areas we need to improve upon. It could be as simple as that. Right, and just the fact that Nevada does have more front court depth this year. Um, and Mensa, he did a good job from the free throw line in the series, but like, and heading into the series, he wasn't that great. I mean, I think he was three for six in the second game, so I'm not going to like say he was the best free throw shooter or anything, but I think Nevada could have lived with 
one, maybe two points from the free throw line instead of Shackle or Gomez. Hoisting one up. Yeah, hoisting one up. and Yeah, sometimes you got to take your chances in those regards. you got to play the math game. Yeah. Numbers, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, overall, I mean, is there anything else you really want to touch upon? Or Yeah, I want to touch upon KJ looked good. KJ's active. The, he only, it was weird. When I looked at the box score after the game, I mean, of, of course, like we watched the game and everything, but looking at the box score after, he only, they said he only had one block. There was like multiple times where I thought he had like, he just like, there was, there, I remember there was possession where he contested like two or three times and he got the ball every time. And it was just like, oh, he only had one block. I was like, all right. But, um, when Nevada was in foul trouble, I think he did a good job. I mean, I think his his fouls were coming off of like moving screens, which his his he's not as undisciplined as he was last year at like can just contesting shots, but um he's he's been a lot better in that department this year, but I mean he still has been he's still learning how to play the college game, which is perfectly fine. But he he did a good job. At least I think he did a pretty solid job having his hands up and contesting and not jumping for joy. And I think that that's something, just something that I saw. Yeah, that's a good takeaway on your point is just he's and he did active. good. He had 14 points. In I was going to say his... season high 14 points in a season high 23 minutes in that second game because of that foul trouble. And hopefully that can maybe improve his role. Definitely. If KJ can just be a little more disciplined defensively, he's got the makings of a true impact player down low because he hustles. He gets every loose ball. He wants to snag every rebound, and he runs the floor. He's a very active player on both ends, and he's got a lot of special athleticism. He's got good athletic traits to him, and he uses those to his advantage. And like you said, the fouls are still becoming potent, but they're not as undisciplined and silly in some ways. He's becoming more sound defensively. He's putting his hands up, keeping them straight, being more active defensively, and as long as he keeps improving in those areas, he's going to be, you know, he's still a key role player and key factor for us going forward. He can be an even bigger piece for us, especially offensively down the stretch if we need some points potentially down low. So something to keep an eye on. And that was a good, good adjustment and a good point out for you. So props. Yeah, I'm, 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 I was impressed with the way he and Robbie played. Yeah, it was good seeing Robbie. Especially in the second game. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. He had 28 minutes. Robbie did. I'm said 23. That's that's a lot for your starting front court being in foul trouble, especially as I mentioned. Warren had seven, just seven minutes. Definitely. I mean, just being plagued with foul trouble at the early part, seeing those two guys step up in that factor was big for us staying in that game. And you know, we wouldn't that game wouldn't have been that close without their contributions. And I know we touched upon just how good Robbie looked as well. He looked fresh for not being able to string together that many minutes in a long time. So, props to both of them. Right, it was like Alford traded at moments you traded offense for defense just because of the front court that San Diego State has, he wanted more defense out there at certain points. Um, and it was also interesting, I, beginning of the game, he like he was pretty antsy to bring KJ off the bench. I mean, Himes picked up his first foul within like the first couple of minutes. And not it wasn't even after the second, it was after the first, and he just put Robbie in the game. Or no, it was, it was Robbie or I think it was KJ might have been Robbie but I think still was, they, yeah. they, he was he was antsy to bring one of them off the bench and so that's something especially with the rotation questions that we did have 
Robbie got and extend extended minutes. Yeah, Robbie got some minutes and made the most of them for sure. You know, and Alem only played one minute. Yeah, <laughs> one combined minute in the two in games. the two games. So Alfred's still tinkering with things. I wonder if that's situational. Yeah, Just especially against SDSU. You given know, maybe play your matchups like you said. But if you like also that. want a floor spacer who can hit threes. And be a, I mean, Alem, to me, has been a good point of attack defender, or at least better shown than I expected. Yeah, he's certainly shown signs of growth in that area. And, yeah, he hey, he brings some versatility for us as well. So, like you said, as Alfred tinkers with that rotation, I think he'll find, you know, more more sets and more rotations to really kind of throw out there. So just something to keep an eye on. Am I thinking of it, like, more of, like, well, because I watch a lot of NBA, so I think about, like, rotations and stuff. Am I thinking about it too much in that way? Like, is there, are we actually going to have a set rotation the entire year? Or Maybe is it not. Gonna, I is mean, it going to be just based off of like, it, all right, what are the matchups for this yeah. series? What, what adjustments do we have to make in game and like what, or on a week to week basis too? And being with COVID, being this is a two mm-hmm. game, get in, get out. You may not need to have a set rotation. Like you said, it could mm-hmm. just be adjustment based and saying, okay, what are our strengths and weaknesses against this team and this team only? And let's focus on getting that series taken care of before we even think onward. And maybe as that turns out, hey, then Alfred takes note of, okay, this this kid fits where, this guy fits better in this scheme and stuff like that. And that can help going forward. But just with COVID and everything and this being a two-game, you know, get-in, get-out series, it may just be more matchup-based and those rotations can really change. You bring up a good question. Yeah, because it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming the same starting lineup of Sherfield. Cambridge, Coleman, Meeks, and Washington. That that's gonna stay the same. But I'm t- I'm just talking about like just off the bench and like because players caught. I mean, I'm not saying this happens uh, because I haven't. We haven't talked to any of the players. Um, but their confident their confidence can sway based off of not having a defined role. Yeah, I understand that. I could that could like they if they don't have a set them. role then. What is it? You right. Know, what like is you're, you're just kind of like in question heading into every game. Like, all right, w- am I going to come off the bench? Am I even going to play? And so that's just kind of like that's just kind of like my question to think about. But I don't. Th- I'm pretty sure it's kind of like a non-story, kind of a non-issue that I'm bringing up, just because I'm just curious about it. You brought up a good question. Just something to keep an eye on going forward for certain. And Daniel Foster could be making a return soon. I don't think it'll be this week, but. He was coming off of a shoulder injury. He offered said he is a tough defender and he could add toughness to that defense. So that's just another body that we can put in there at yeah. times when we need that defense. Another freshman who can come in and impact the squad immediately. I'm excited to see. Yeah. You want to transition into women's basketball? Let's do it. First off, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. back Nevada women's basketball split this weekend they went one and one they lost the first game 59-43 yikes and they won the second game 66-59 they're pretty resilient in that second game turnovers plagued them in the first game 
They shot the ball terribly. They shot 21% from the floor, 17% from the three-point line. San Diego, San Diego State didn't shoot much better either. They just shot 35% from the field in that first game. But Nevada just couldn't get a bucket to fall. They, I think, turned the ball over 16 times. It was just rough all around. Yeah, it's been self-inflicted wounds these past couple of weeks with the women's team. And they're doing a good job defensively. And I know they've kind of cooled down from the hot start offensively, but they're keeping in the games for the most part until turnovers and bad shot selections have really unraveled them throughout the course. But like you said, that kind of showed up in the first game. But second game, they really bounced back. I thought that was a really tough performance on their hand. And once again, Deja Hamilton and Amaya West, that combination right now has been working so well for them. And, you know, just this team... Basically, like like the men's team in so many ways, they're very resilient. And they can battle back and have a few runs of their own. And unlike the first game where they forced so many self-inflicted wounds, they actually forced a couple turnovers and got in transition, got some easy buckets or late in the game to kind of get back into the game. And then from the half-court set, they were really effective offensively. So a lot of things to move forward. That was a good split considering just how poorly they played the first game in so many ways, just shooting the ball so poorly and turning the ball over on so many occasions, you're kind of asking for a much worse loss. Just something to take away from once again. And this is another program that has a bright future, a lot of young talent mixed in with some good Juco talent and a lot of upperclassmen transfers as well. So just considering where that program was and how many departures there were heading into this year, you're starting to see the growth of this program develop in so many ways as well it's been impressive yeah in the first game they had more turnovers and field goals that's disgusting 16 turnovers and 13 field goals i mean that's asking for a double digit loss but Mm -hmm. you know they battled they're a resilient bunch yeah deja hamilton had 13 points she was the only double digit score in the first game but on four of 14 shooting two of seven from beyond the arc the only other player with more than one field goal was megan ormiston who had seven points on three field goals two blocks so Nevada, it was by far their lowest scoring output of the season. And luckily they were able to bounce back and score 23 more points in that second game because Amaya West had four, had 14 points, Hamilton had 16 points. And so it was, there was really like a more con, a bigger contribution in that second game than there was the first. And they were able to pull out a close win. Oh, definitely. And you saw adjustments made on both ends of the floor on their part. And when you take care of the basketball and play efficient ball things can work out for you. So the women's team overall, I know it's been a little bit of a bumpy ride considering they started the year off really hot and a couple of losses and a few self-inflicted losses on their part have hurt them this year. But I really think this team can snap another four or five game win streak because they have the offensive talent to do so. They just need to work on the fundamentals again and be sure to take care of the ball and play crisp defense in so many ways. And if those two things can really kind of come together don't be surprised if another long win streak comes up because this team, as I mentioned, is very resilient and talented. They have many multiple scores, and they have you know a lot of players who are able to just kind of take over the game in one aspect or another. Yeah, it's. Not, I don't know if that win streak. You mentioned the win streak. I don't know if that's going to come this week because Fresno State is. They're great. Yeah, they're they're good. The best team in the Mountain West. Um, they have pretty much bringing everyone back, so that's going to be a very tough game for them on the road but I agree with you this team could string together a long win streak and that win that they had um on Saturday that snapped a four-game losing streak so they're able to get back on the right 
like on the right side of the result. Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, going up against the defending Mountain West regular season champs, Fresno State, they're big down low. They punished Nevada down low last year. So I'm expecting, just curious to see how the women's team can adjust in that standpoint because this year's team is a little more athletic, maybe a bit smaller, but more versatile offensively. So maybe they can use that to their advantage. Just certainly something to keep an eye on. And I'm excited. This is a like, you know how the women's, I mean, the men's team had a litmus test against SDSU. This is kind of the women's team's litmus test because Fresno State's been really good last year and they proved it the year before. They're a great regular season team and dominant in the postseason. So this is a big step forward for the program and the team as a whole going forward. And even in the second game, Nevada didn't shoot the best. They shot 32% from the field, 21 or 22% from the three-point line. They only had five three-point field goal makes, but they had just eight turnovers that game. Taking care of the ball. I mean, it can nine turnovers do wonders for you. It really does. I mean, just those simple things, keeping the ball in your court, in your hands, not giving your opponent free baskets is <laughs> obviously good things can happen. You know, it can ease and rub off on a poor shooting performance on many aspects. And they, Tay Adams, who led San Diego State with 24 points in the first game, had just 12 points in the second game. So they cut that in half. They were limiting, they were forcing uh, other players or other Aztecs to beat you. Oh, definitely. Just being more active defensively, especially on the perimeter, has worked out well. And we saw strides of that in game two. And I really do think, you know, going forward, this team can put together a few wins. And this Fresno State team they're going up against is tough in many aspects. But I think this team is a resilient bunch. And I'm excited to see how they can prove themselves and test themselves against some of the conference's best teams. And we saw in the Nevada Student Player of the Week, Kenna Holt, make big contributions in that second game. Only eight points off the bench, but she played 30 minutes. Oh, definitely. No, and she was a big factor on both ends of the floor, and she helped sway the tide in that second game. And having her contributions, you know, just speaks to the team as a whole. There's so many capable scorers and so many players who are able to put the ball on the floor and kind of create their own shot, and Holt's one of them. So it's just, you know, I'm really kind of... I think you're really starting to see this unit gel more, and they're starting to develop a deep rotation of their own. So it was really interesting to see and good to see Holt come out playing efficient basketball and playing hard on both ends. Two of four from deep. Yeah, you need it. She One of the things we do kind of lack is some three-point shooting. We're very streaky in that regard so far this year. So having more stability on that end is big in so many ways. So just got to keep that going. We need to keep the chains moving. I know that's a very cliche statement, but coming off, you know, a bad Thursday performance, getting that win in the second game. Let's see what they're capable of against Fresno State. And I'd be remiss to mention one of those threes did come, a go-ahead three. It brought it to, I believe, 56 to 55 with four minutes left. And so that was a big three after missing one, I think, a possession or two prior. And so that's a big, that was a big boost. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think both games kind of had their back-and-forth moments, but it was good to see... Nevada come out on top, obviously, in the second game. And credit to them for just playing effectively and taking care of the basketball and closing the game out against a you know a feisty San Diego State squad. All right, and then we have uh, – we saved kind of the news for the end of the broadcast. Or the broad, what am I talking – the podcast, <laughs> not broadcast. End of the broadcast. <laughs> By the way, oh, hold on, I have something to ask you. What is it with – 
This what this didn't really happen much against San Diego State, but it happened against New Mexico. What is it with fans complaining about every broadcast? I don't I don't know. I just think people like their own right uh, their own thing, but even then you're going to hear <laughs> you're going to hear complaints from the other end. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just asking that cuz I just I said broadcast and that randomly popped up in my head and I remember for the uh New Mexico series Nevada fans were, or at least from my Twitter timeline or the Pac Center Twitter timeline that I saw, it was pretty like they weren't really happy with the. It's like, dude, this isn't this isn't your local broadcast. You're not gonna say everything about your team. Like this is just not how it goes. Yeah, I don't know what they're expecting. <laughs> and there was a point. I can't remember if it was in the first or second. I think it was in the first game, but like. After like every free throw attempt that Sherfield had, they were making they were not making fun of, it, but they were commenting on his free throw routine and how he likes to chuck the ball in the air and kind of like a self lob to shoot. And it was like they, I don't know, don't say that they're not talking about your team or whatever when that's happening. Like what? <laughs> that was the wildest thing I've heard all year from yeah, broadcast. I, I haven't heard anyone else say that, but oh right. well. No, just observations and stuff like that. Right. I mean, I guess they just don't like. I talking about the other team, but again, it's not a low. It's not like yeah, it's not your local broadcast. It's not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I don't know. That's just a random thought. <laughs> but something we want to talk about at the end of the podcast, not broadcast. I don't know why I said broadcast, but the podcast is Nevada football. Um, I know it's the end of the season. Nevada added a couple more transfers. And those two transfers will help the secondary, Bentley Sanders and Miles Hayes. Sanders is a transfer from South Florida, who Nevada almost played if it wasn't, or who who Nevada would have played if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah, definitely. He played in just six games, um, had four starts. In those six games, he it was six of the nine, six of the team's nine games. He missed three of them because of COVID. He had 25 tackles, two and a half tackles for loss, two pass breakups, and one pick six. Um, they're both safeties. I probably should have mentioned that. He had one pick six against Houston in the second to last game of the season. In his career, he has had 94 tackles, seven and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, five pass breakups, and two interceptions with three forced fumbles. He had three forced fumbles in the year prior. Or no, two forced fumbles in the year prior. These guys are both... Four years, so they've played four years already. Or, no, they have one more year of eligibility left. So they both have one more year of eligibility left. Um, They will be eligible for this 2021 season. Hayes came from William & Mary. They didn't have a season because they're in the FCS, and they didn't have an FCS season aside from, like, one North Dakota State game. (laughs) Or at least not yet. Um, He had 46 tackles. One and a half tackles for loss, five pass breakups, three interceptions, and one forced fumble for the 2019 season. So these these guys are going to add to the back end for some of the players that are graduating, like EJ Muhammad. And Sanders can also was also a kick returner, and he played nickel corner a lot. Um, I believe it was in 2019. And from what I remember, Muhammad was did do a lot of his work least this past year in the nickel corner spot so what do you think about the transfers yeah i mean i think sanders especially can bring some versatility whether he's able to play the nickel or play up high as a safety but 
Either way, bringing some experience. Seems like both of them bring some physicality as well. Not afraid to tackle and make open field tackles as well. So we're going to need it, especially in the secondary, because we're going to be missing a couple key pieces, including EJ Muhammad, as you mentioned. So I thought it was an aggressive standpoint to just grab a couple of, you know, athletic, wiry safeties who may be able to bounce around the field, or at least one of them can. So just having that kind of versatility and physicality can do wonders for us. It's a good couple of good additions. How do you feel about them? Oh, I 100% agree. I wonder what type of role that Sanders is going to get because we have Williams in the secondary. Because they had, because because they have Christian Swint and Tyson Williams at the safety spot. So I wonder if, as I mentioned before, Sanders could play corner or some nickel corner. I wonder if he kind of transitions back to that role. And he's as a kick returner too. I mean, we have Jamal Bell. Um, we have Romeo as a punt returner. So I wonder if he gets potential, like a second person next to uh, Jamal. I just wonder what his role is going to be. Same with Hayes. Yeah, it'll be interesting moving forward, but good additions nonetheless. I mean, could use him to the secondary, so it'll be good to see going forward. And before we, before we uh, end this podcast or end this episode, Nevada added 11, or no, not, they didn't add, but they have 11 seniors coming back because this year they, it doesn't count as an eligibility a year of eligibility because of COVID, because of just the unequal amount of games that certain teams had to play. And so there were any of the seniors could have come back and played. Nevada had 11 of them. Do you want me to? Are you ready? Yeah, list them off. First off, probably the most important part to this defense, linebacker Lawson Hall. Second one, Sam Hammond, Huge. defensive end. The third one, which is going to just – add to this monstrous group of receiving corps, wide receiver Elijah Cooks, who should have been, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep saying it until um, it happens, even though it's not going to happen ever, should have been the a 2019 all-conference receiver. He wasn't. Tops 10 in receiving, in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. He was robbed. I, I'm surprised he didn't even make an all-mention, or uh, honorable mention team. But... <laughs> Uh, defensive lineman Zach Mahana. Defensive lineman Tristan Nichols. T Nicks. Two offensive linemen, Jermaine Ledbetter, who was team captain last year, and Tyler Rossini, one of the uh one of our best linemen, if not our best linemen. Cam Toomer, defensive lineman. Corner Burdell Robbins, who will be getting back, who if Sanders if that's the role that Sanders plays, he would be on the opposite of end of uh Robbins. Robbins was arguably our best corner last year. And then we have tight end Reagan Roberson. And then your favorite player. Our favorite player. The podcast's favorite player. What was it? The Golden... Golden Cleat. Golden Cleat. Julian Diaz, punter. Who has a cannon of a leg and who's one of the best punters in the nation last year. Yeah. I mean, you just look at those 11 seniors returning. Impact across anyone? the board. No. Okay, I was no, me. yeah, no. I mean, just impact across the board, particularly Hall, Hammond, Cooks, Ledbetter, Rossini, Nichols, Robbins, and Diaz. I mean, that's a strong, that's, that's a strong huge. group. I mean, just coupling with the fact that 
already some of the youth that this program has. Another year of Carson Strong, another year of Romeo Dubs, another year of Lee and Tawa, another year of just, oh my gosh, John Peterson just coming into his junior season. I mean, we saw what we were capable of and the ceiling this program has last year. I mean, the expectations are only higher now, getting so many of these guys back. I can't wait. It's going to be so cool to see and huge additions. And not even additions, just huge, what am I trying to say? Like Return, Huge returns. returns. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Huge returning aspects. and it's going, to, uh, it's going to really help the defensive side of the football as well. I mean, just having more of those guys with more talent blended in with the new safety additions, it's going to be exciting. Just the level of continuity back. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait. 2021 is going to be another special year, hopefully. I still... The fact that Elijah played, what, one and a half games? Um, it was either one and a half or he just played a half a game. I'm pretty sure it was one and a half. One and a half, right? Because he, he played the full game against... Um, but first game of the year was... Um... No, he missed the first game. Oh, he did. That's right. Oh, yeah. So he did just play one and a half. No, yeah. wait, no, he came back in the second half. Yeah, he came, the, yes. So second half there's the second half and then the first game, and then he was out with the shoulder. Anyways, he <laughs> he didn't have many he didn't have much experience this year. Or he didn't get a lot of playing time this year because he had season ending shoulder surgery. It's gonna be break my brain. He Romeo dubs Cole Turner. Tory Horton. Tory Horton. And Justin Lockhart. Justin Lockhart with Tower Just a bunch Lee. of weapons. Yeah. It's going to be so cool. Yeah, I'm going to look up and see. I, for some reason, I can't. Why am I forgetting this? Uh, with, with Elijah. Yeah, he was the he was named to the preseason watch list for the Blitnikoff. He was that good. Yeah, and still couldn't get much recognition from the conference in 2019. But just shows. Yeah, he just played. Okay, he just played in the half a game. Okay. He played in the half. I was mistaken. Yeah, but either way, I mean, we saw strides with him. We saw strides. Obviously, we set records without him. Just having his presence on the outside, his physicality, his big playability, his jump ball ability. It's going to be him and Cole Turner. Oh, my goodness. Throw it up to both of them. You know they're going to come down with it. Seeing a whole heap of uh, goal line fades this next year. And boy, oh, boy. And don't stick to my stomach. You already know that Wildcat's going to be staying, too. Yeah. I didn't expect that to leave anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. But, yeah. Huge returnees. It's going to be an exciting 2021 for Nevada football, certainly. I wonder how many scholarships the NCAA is going to allot this next year. Good but, question. But we'll, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get to that when that comes out. But anyways, Isaiah, do you have anything more to add? No, sir. Another podcast in the books. I forgot to mention, Nevada basketball will play Fresno State this weekend. Nevada has a f- 8 p.m. Friday game. Like, what? Not, it's not on Thursday. I'd rather it be on Thursday. Um, I mean, I guess it really doesn't matter. But an 8 p.m. game, that's kind of weird. We're not in Hawaii. Yeah, I know. It's going to be super weird. But, oh, well, Nevada athletics nonetheless. You want to know what time it is in London? I'm just <laughs> oh, gosh, not again. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, we have an 8 p.m. Friday game on FS1, and then I believe it's at 1 on Sunday. And then the women's basketball has theirs at 6 p.m. on Friday on the road at Fresno State. They have it on Sunday at 2, but Nevada women's 6 p.m., 2 p.m., Friday, Sunday, Nevada men's basketball. 
8 p.m., 1 p.m. Nevada men's basketball. Uh, I was actually looking at it. Orlando Robinson's going to be. He's really good. Yeah. He's a double-double machine. He's averaging like 19 and 11. Um, a block a game. Strood. Deion Strood. He's averaging 13 a game. Robinson's made a huge leap from this year to last year. So, Or, last, yeah, last year to this year, I mean. Well, I'm, I'm messing up a lot in this podcast. Um, the Tuesday Blues. Yeah, I feel you there. But, yeah, they don't really necessarily – I mean, they hit 13 threes against San Jose State, but they don't really shoot the ball. They, they really don't shoot the three while they're shooting 30% from three um, this year. So Nevada's going to have another tough challenge ahead of them uh, defending the paint, and it's going to be a t- another litmus test for that front court. Oh, definitely. No, it's just something to keep an eye on for both men's and women's and wish them nothing but the best. Let's get a couple pack wins by next podcast. Yeah. All right. Um, that's just our very mini brief preview. we got to get out of here. But thank you for listening. Give us a rating, five-star rating. Hopefully, um, <laughs> uh, we hope you had. We hope you're doing very well, very safe. Uh, the world's chaotic right now. Just stay safe, stay healthy, um, stay happy. Don't be sad. Be glad. I'm. I'm gonna edit that out. That was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, like and subscribe. Um, see you next week. <laughs>